0: You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast, keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock, and you're listening to the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. My guest this week is Regina Berengoltz formerly head of data science at my last company, and now taking over the world with high-growth TV analytics company, TV Squared. On the basis of a personal recommendation from a friend, I persuaded Regina to move from sunny Spain to rainy Glasgow for a startup adventure, and she not only survived, but thrived. So welcome to your Agony Arts sofa,
1: Regina. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) People
0: usually come to me, but I don't (laughs) mind coming to your sofa. And um, so there's only one question this week, because it's a big one. And I'd like to dive into several perspectives on it. The person asks, how much of a risk is it to take a job as an early employee in a startup? I really like the idea of it. And I have a potential offer. But it's all a bit vague on details. And my friends think it's a really big risk. Am I missing something? So Regina, you were a Canadian citizen studying in Madrid when, off the back of a few Skype calls, you decided to move to Scotland and work with me.
1: What on earth were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I'm honest, (laughs) I was thinking, what on earth are you thinking, Vicky? I mean, I was not even graduated from my program yet, barely had any experience in data science up until that point. And you took this big risk because you had to deal with my visa, you had to deal with me coming over, you actually even let me live with you for a little while, a complete stranger. So between the two of us, I think you're the one who actually took the bigger risk. Well, it wasn't such a risk for me. And this is the interesting thing.
0: Somebody I trust very much, a a, a long time data analytics colleague happened to be your professor, I think, and Mm -hmm. had got in touch with me going, if you're looking for a be looking for somebody, I have the woman for you. And I was hiring at that moment, and it was like, whoa, I don't care where in the world this person is and what I have to do to get her. You know, how what hey, how was that experience? And also how did that shape what you did next? Because you've gone from startup to scale up, really, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, I would say that honestly, it shaped everything that I did. You essentially gave me my start in the startup world in Scotland. And you gave me that experience with that early stage startup where nobody really knows what's going on. There's this general objective and this general goal and everybody's working towards it together, which is amazing. But with none of the structure and none of the process that I was used to at some of the old companies that I was with, one of them was quite big, which was Procter & Gamble. So the literally complete opposite. Um. So Doing this really gave me a whole new perspective into what I really enjoyed doing, which was really having a lot of autonomy and independence while still working together with a lot of people for that one goal. And it has been a different experience with this new company, which is actually roughly the same age, so not that new, but TV Squared is definitely in its its growth phase. And I don't think it's slowing down, but there are more people. The everybody is still kind of in that really early startup mentality, I would say, and that everybody's working towards the same goal and running really fast and learning from their mistakes and just trying to be the best that we can be, which is really nice. But there come a lot of other challenges with that many people. And when you're in that phase um, of a company, which has been really interesting.
0: So when you when you came um, to work with me, you were the first person into my data team. And you kind of then went away and built that team up and and you grew the capability over time was there a particular mindset that you were looking for i mean i know i certainly had mindset that i was looking for when i i went looking for people but as you were building out the people around you were you looking for something specific
1: yeah i would say there were a couple of things that i just i would always watch out for in interviews one is i'm always looking for someone who's really proactive and has a general curiosity about what it is that they're doing. When you have those kinds of people, they're really great because they need a, they need guidance, of course, but they need way less hand-holding, I would say. They naturally want to do something good. They naturally want to make sure that whatever it is that they're doing is going to be helpful and is going to help the business overall. And they have this really great sense of responsibility and accountability. One other thing I would say, and I've been reading a lot about it recently, is something that kind of brings it all together, is having that growth mindset. And it's about not part that I take away. It's about not caring whether you did something wrong or you did something right or you made a mistake. It's about knowing what could have been done better. Mm-hmm. It's not about being defensive. It's just about saying, all right, this happened. Great. What did we learn from it? Let's move on. And there's just no time for any sort of defensive behaviors yeah. or arguments. You just, just, just keep going.
0: And, well, you know, I, I completely subscribe to that. And it's certainly how I personally think. But it, it's one of those complications that comes in if you get certain things wrong, and in the way that I feel like probably I definitely got certain later at you know at a, at a management level some of those hires wrong where you drop people in that don't have that mindset, and you've built a culture very deliberately about you know what we learn, don't be afraid of failing, in in the whole kind of company's values, we celebrate, we call out. We're, we're transparent about this because it's about what you've learned and you yeah. go and get it right or we do it differently next time. But then if you accidentally introduce people that are not of that mindset, yeah. the, the wheels kind of fall off really quickly. And it's quite hard to having been in that to understand what the hell just went wrong. Yeah. Um, and picking that out is just a really interesting point. I think if you're, if you're afraid of failure or you're not tolerant of failure in others, yeah. startup is not the place to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, slightly tangential on that, I'd say, if you need a lot of structure, (laughs) a startup is not the place to be.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important to recognize. And I I think a lot of people don't recognize that in themselves until they're in the environment. I mean, I used to say, and I mean, in a little while, I will definitely ask you about what you think bosses and founders should, how they should approach this. But I... Mm -hmm especially to start with, was very much of the mindset that, like, if I knew how to do it and if I knew what I needed, Mm -hmm. I'd do it. I mean, the whole point that I'm bringing somebody else in is because I don't and I can't and Mm -hmm. none of us can. So you need to come in, own it, run with it, which on the one hand must be exciting. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you're not used to that or you're not equipped to deal with that, that
1: must actually be quite terrifying. Yeah, definitely overwhelming and I've, I've seen people who really, they need structure, like they just, they just need it. And it's almost like this paralysis that happens when you say, all right, we need this to happen. And they go, well, what? Like, how? <laughs> what do you want me to do? And you go, well, it's, it's your job. Like, it's, you're the expert here. Like, it's okay to be wrong, but just, just go try, like, do something. And yeah, it could just take a lot of time.
0: Yeah. And I know certainly that my style is very. Here's where we're going. You know, this is the mountain that we're running up. This yeah. is this is the big hairy goal. This is this is what I see in my mind. Yeah. Now, please help me make it so, yeah. or not even please help me make it so. Just please do please it. make it so. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and you know, you are the kind of person that totally ran with that. You would manage upwards very nicely to kind of connect back in with me to see if you were on the right path if we were in sync and you were touching regularly with that, but there were definitely people who kind of looked at me or even indeed were like, how, what, what exactly should I do? How exactly should Mm -hmm. I do it? And it's like, I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's, That's down to you. What do you think the big, I mean, aside from that, the whole structure thing, and I actually think certainly among The less experienced people, the younger hires, the most common reason why it didn't work was actually the person needed more structure than we could possibly provide. What do you kind of see as the big risks going into
1: early stage startup? Thinking about that is really interesting because it's kind of like any job that you go into, you might not have it. It might fail but that could happen at almost any place if you're just not a good fit if the company isn't providing you what you need or you're not providing to the company it's it's all the same the only difference is that with a an early stage startup you can end up dedicating quite a bit of your life and energy and emotion into it so if it doesn't pay out yeah that that's rough that's rough yes yeah, just as well as this is a podcast and not an, a video because yeah. we are looking quite sighing and depressed <laughs> when you said that yeah But at the same time, I think even if that does happen, you've learned so much because there's, you can only learn certain things about yourself and the way that you work and the things that you enjoy and appreciate from an early stage startup experience.
0: Yeah. It is a team bonding experience like no other. Yeah. It is a actual feat of stamina. Yeah. Intellectual, but actually just plain old physical stamina. Yeah. Like no other. And the person who's, who asked the question says their friends think it's a really big risk. Well, their friends are probably some people that would never want to work in a startup because they want structure and they want to do a finite number of hours and get paid for it. I'm with you there. Oh, this this is uh, Bucky, the dog. He used to be our office dog. He's just come to make friends with the microphone. <laughs> you're right. What is the risk, really? Yeah. And the risk is it all fails. The risk is it fails miserably and you're unhappy. Well, you can extract yourself from that situation. And that's just as likely to happen in a corporate environment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of risk, and the only thing I would say that's slightly different about a startup is that because it is riskier than your average corporate job, it just depends on you know how much savings you have, how, how financially sound you are, and uh, what kind of risk you're willing to take and if it does fail in like a month or two months. If you don't have any dependents, though, and you have enough savings then I honestly think any sort of experience there is is worth that effort and worth that risk. Yeah. But everybody's situation is a bit different. It just depends.
0: Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that it's a bigger risk if you've got a big mortgage, if yeah. you've got kids, if you've got very high expenses in your life and the alternative is a corporate job. I, I would feel uncomfortable persuading you to come work in my startup unless... You'd done it before, and I could see the fire in your eyes, and I knew that you didn't, you couldn't do anything else. Like it's a compulsion. I feel with me, yeah. uh, People kind of say, like, "Oh, where do you get?" all your energy a more, like yeah. how, how what drives you it's like it's a compulsion <laughs> yes. i
1: couldn't do anything else yeah and that's what makes it great i remember you once came from uh, a chat with a recruiter who said you were just unhireable, <laughs> and i'm like that's actually so true <laughs> I, I can't even envision you working for someone else because this is so clearly what you're meant to be doing because you just enjoy it so much and you have that drive but again like every person is different people who are going to be in startups they should know or they should be the type of people who know that it's not for, like, the immediate reward. It's for the long work and the really great, hopefully, payout at the end, whether it's, like, financial independence or if it's that learning and knowledge and growth. Um, so if you're the type of person who wants stable income or a lot of money right away, you're not the right place. <laughs> yeah.
0: And if you think that payout at the end is an inevitability, yeah, oh, no. Um, you know, but I used to think, I used to feel comforted when we were at one of our mini there's hardly any money in the bank moments, Mm -hmm. is that if this all goes wrong in the way that I regarded it going wrong as, I mean, the reality for me on my day-to-day basis is the way that that company was most likely to go wrong was not the way it did go wrong for me. But I just assumed we would run out of money. So the biggest risk that I was always fighting against was, Mm. We might run out of money. But I always looked at the people working in that business and think every single one of them is better off for having worked here than not having worked here. What they've learned, what we've achieved, Mm -hmm. means that even if that happens, I'm okay with that Yeah, from a people perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And even from that, I'd say you probably hired the right people because – If I recall, you were really transparent in terms of like the finances and what we could expect, whether it'll be in the next month or next two months or next three months. And everybody there, it's not like they would suddenly start looking for another job. It's because they knew the risks. They knew that what we were building had really great potential and they wanted to see that through. So I think that really showed that the people that you did hire really had the right mentality as well.
0: Personally, I think that's an incredibly important thing for founders to do. Mm -hmm. I think that you have to Explain the financial position to potential hires and to your team on a really regular basis in a way that doesn't scare the hell out of them, but makes sense. So, I mean, for example, I don't think it's necessarily perfectly helpful just to go, this is what's in the bank. Mm -hmm. Because people are often shocked how little money a business has in its bank at any one time. I would talk about how much we'd raised, how long I expected that to last. Yeah. Because I mean, 150,000 pounds we raised at the beginning. Well, that lasted for over a year. Yeah. Whereas I would imagine, you know, companies in their growth phase, you know, the kind of place that that you're working now. I don't know if that lasts a fortnight. I mean, I'm not talking about that company specifically yeah
1: yeah. Yeah. they'd have this crazy yeah exactly and they'd have way higher expenses as well so that obviously makes sense more people more salary more infrastructure just everything
0: yeah and so it's very different the important thing is I always think that a founder needs to be very honest with their hires about what the immediate term financial position for the next three months looks like And what the expectation for the next six months looks like. And frankly, no founder knows beyond that in in very many situations. (laughs) So to be kind of telling this rosy story of what the next two years looks like, unless you've just come off the back of a very big raise, in which point it's going to get insanely complicated anyway, and you're going to spend that money far quicker than you thought you would. It's not realistic. But I think it's really appropriate and important that if the founder isn't volunteering that information, that the... Person having the interview or accepting the
1: job offer asks. Yeah, absolutely. I think that person, whoever it is that they are, really needs to themselves understand what the situation is. And if the founder can't answer that or is uncomfortable answering that, then that would be more cause for concern and would indicate much higher risk, both in terms of whether this company can be successful and really what you can learn there. Because if you're going to go into an environment of secrecy and like, discomfort about talking about uh, this kind of stuff. I don't really think that they're going to have a a very good time of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think as much as possible that the founder CEO should be radically transparent and the most successful, I mean, I did an interview with Dennis Morton a few Mm -hmm. episodes back, you know, the single most successful entrepreneur I know scaling at incredible rates, done it five or six times. And, you know, he has the bank balance on a screen so that people understand the hard reality of what they need to do, so they understand that position. And he's he's really radically transparent about this stuff. And he inspired me, and and I always took that approach. And I think people, A, deserve that trust, Mm -hmm. but B, reward that trust because they understand the reality of how short the time frame is, how precious the limited resources that you have, and... You know, when I've seen it go wrong, it's because perhaps a layer of people come in from a corporate world or perhaps people Mm. come in with a different mindset and they're just not willing to embrace or accept Mm. that. And then your culture unravels and incredibly quickly, actually, shockingly
1: quickly. Yeah. But when it's a small group of people, like one person can cause a huge impact. All you need is one negative person saying something. Everybody hears it. And suddenly that just gets repeated whether it was meant to or not. And it just, it does spiral quickly. I also just want to say one quick point about uh, founders who should be very transparent uh, with their employees. I think that's actually a really inspiring trait, not just in in like early stage startup founders, but even at the company that I'm at now, which is like six years old um, and is going through a lot of uh, growth and a lot of people. Our CEO, who's the founder, is still very, very transparent as well. Like every day we have updates based on what our sales targets are, how far away we are from reaching them, um, what else we need to do. Every single day we get updates on that, which is incredibly great because there's the risk that we might not hit targets one day or one week or one month or one quarter. And everybody's going to know that. And so there's a lot of trust that he's putting in the employees to not panic when that happens, but instead kind of rally around and say, OK, great, this is what we need to do. Let's go do it.
0: And that trust if, if you build that and earn that trust from your employees, yeah. if you need it, it will be there. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I, and I feel it. I feel it with you and I feel it with him. Um, and I think it's because exactly of that trust and all the responsibility placed on you and the fact that they, you and him can believe that the employees can do that. What did you
0: find? I mean, you did Procter and Gamble, you'd done consultancy stuff. What did you like? the most about coming into a startup environment?
1: Ah, I felt like I could, oh, there's so many things, but I felt like I could really be myself in a startup environment. At a big organization like Procter & Gamble, and especially in a client-facing consultancy, you kind of have to put on a show, right? Like you have to wear certain clothes, you have to politic in a certain way, you have to represent yourself in a certain way. And in a startup environment, I think people can very, very quickly see your value without having to put on that show without, without having to put on that face to say, take me seriously. They see what you can do, and they do take you seriously. And that's the nicest bit, because I don't need to worry about that anymore. I can just concentrate on doing as good of a job as I can. There's also the fact that there's so much unexplored territory in a startup. You can have so much data, or you can have so many questions that you want to answer. And because you have that ability now, you're not stuck to a specific structure, you're not stuck to a specific process or specific promises yet you have that ability to do that exploration piece and really shape the company and shape the product and be so influential in that. In a big company, or even in a consultancy, you're really constrained to what you're allowed to do and what you're allowed to say and and how you're allowed to go about doing those things. Um, So there's just this element of of freedom in so many ways, which I think is amazing.
0: I always agree. And I love almost kind of the instant reward almost of mm-hmm. the achievement every week every day mm-hmm. really you see you built something or yeah. you see you got somewhere you know that was definitely in the later years that for me in, in the ceo position that became harder because you you get a, you get a bit more distant from it and Sometimes the triumphs feel very thin on the ground, but Mm -hmm. I kind of used to try to engineer that triumph talk on a Friday afternoon just to kind of keep that energy going up. I might not have taken any steps forward this week.
1: Yeah. Guys, please tell me you have. That. Yeah, and more often than not, someone would have. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's quite. I, I mean, I
0: find that it is a very um,
1: energizing
0: thing, and the self determination, and the, this is the path that I'm going to take, is such a driver again of that culture and and of those teams working together. Yeah, that I think when you get you know, perhaps investors, board, people coming in as it grows going, mm-hmm. stop doing all of that inventing stuff yeah. or stop having those ideas or stop being so creative and finish something. Mm-hmm. All perfectly valid points, by the way, yeah. but should be handled with care in case you, I don't know, throw the baby out with the bathwater <laughs> or worse still, put a great
1: big pin yeah. through the sides of this
0: hot air balloon.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think there is there is actually a limited amount of time when you have that freedom, even in a startup, because at some point you're going to hit gold, and then that's kind of what you're going to have to stick with yep. and keep doing that. And the space for innovation is there, like definitely, as long as the company culture supports that. But it's really not quite the same as when you first start out. Yeah. It's, it's really great to take advantage of that in those early stages.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that there are probably people who who most suit years zero to two. Yeah. And who've got, who wouldn't be comfortable in the environment that you're in now, really, where presumably the product roadmap is what fairly set. And (laughs) is it about building more of the same or are you still kind of iterating and creating?
1: I think there's a really good balance, if I'm honest. Uh, We do definitely have our core products that need to be the same, but better. Um, And there is work. My team right now is doing a lot of research on creating new products, but it is based on what we've already done, right? There's a theme you want to hit. You want to be on brand. You want to be going after the same kinds of customers who would have bought you originally. And it's great. There's It's innovation, but I would say maybe in a more focused space, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because... I know that definitely I, rightly, wrongly, who knows, I'm sure you have a, a, a view, but could kind of be accused of being all over the place with the ideas. Mm-hmm. And I actually sometimes think that was not as much a symptom of that and mm-hmm. more a symptom of not having adequately communicated the coherent theme yeah. that was blatantly obvious to me yeah. in my mind, but probably not To everybody else of how actually these all connected and made sense yeah and that sort of brings me on i suppose to one of the questions that i had which is really what do you what do startup employees wish that their bosses would understand Mm -hmm. or learn in order to make this all work just a little bit more smoothly a
1: couple of things so if i got to choose (laughs) you can have them all if you want yeah i think there's three so one and this might be a ceo thing because this definitely happened with you, but you're not the only person that it's happened to, is you come in and you say, oh, I have this great idea. We're going to do this right now. Drop everything, blah, 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 blah. Or sometimes in your instance, it's less direct than that. And it's more, oh, there's this great idea. We should totally do that. And then everybody drops everything and does it anyway. (laughs) Um, And just knowing the impact that that has, because everybody will. You are the highest authority. And if people don't listen to you, they're not going to listen to anybody. So- It's a natural thing to want to make that CEO, that top leader happy. The second thing is, is think they need to understand that things take time and things don't magically happen. They don't happen in a day or in two days. And it's not because people are slow or stupid. It's because a lot of the times you're doing something for the very first time and mistakes are going to happen And there's going to be whole processes and whole steps that you're going to miss completely because it's the first time that you're doing it. And I know there's in startups, there's a lot of pressure to deliver because you need to make that first sale. You need to make sure you have money in the bank. And so it's just it's hard to want to do something that you can be proud of in like half a day, which is an exaggeration. But it does take time to do things. And the third thing is, and this might not necessarily be a specific CEO problem but just higher up maybe exec team issue is when you're not working in the weeds i would say if you're not working in the detail you start making a lot of assumptions as to how things are supposed to be and why aren't things the way that they're supposed to be even though you've never communicated this is what this is what i think things are supposed to be (laughs) so the expectation is there but never communicated and obviously never met and i feel like that causes a lot of tension when really, if you just sat down, talked about what the expectation is and came up with a plan, it would have gone a lot easier.
0: And those are all amazing points. And I know I made all of those mistakes. <laughs> and I also feel comfortable knowing that I am sure as hell not the only one. No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> I can think of many, many other CEOs making all of those mistakes. The first one, um, I remember you calling me out on that. Stephen also yeah. uh, calling me out on that, who my, my co-founder Because honestly, I didn't realize. I mean, sometimes I would do it, like, sometimes I would do it because I did have a really good idea and I did genuinely believe it was really important. Mm -hmm. And especially as the founder, you really do start to worry that the only thing that you now bring to this company Mm -hmm. is ideas. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> That's, you do worry that actually the company's outgrowing what you have to give it. So you can cling to this Oh my goodness, like am I like actually now completely pointless in the company? And that was something that I think Mark Logan's kind of talked about that. It's like mm-hmm. if a founder and a CEO isn't scaling themselves mm-hmm. at the rate that their company is, you kinda of start to see all of these ideas being thrown out just mm-hmm. constantly because they're actually trying to
1: justify them then to themselves mm-hmm. that they still have a role in the company. but Surely that's, I, mean, I don't want to call you ridiculous, but your role has always been very clear. I think in the company in terms of someone who's there to motivate.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I personally didn't find, I, I wasn't, I don't think mm-hmm. I was suffering. Okay, from good. that. Cause yeah, mm-hmm. what I did used to do though, is think out loud without mm. realizing the consequences yeah. of thinking out loud. I didn't realize that just because I had a brain fart and it came out, I don't know, and I accidentally happened to be in the product meeting or in the mm-hmm. data briefing meeting, that everything just got dropped and people yeah. went off and did it. Yeah, it took me a really long time to try to, well, to I hopefully successfully on the whole mm-hmm. learn that I needed to shut up and yeah. try to follow a process for getting those ideas yeah. in. And I think the best thing
1: you you did is you did realize that and you educated the team that you recognize that that is a thing that happens to the point where now we were the ones thinking was was this just like a vicky says thing or is this an actual thing <laughs> um so we could be a little bit more critical about what's coming out and what is the important thing to actually do
0: yeah and the things take time i mean obviously this is directed at me because i wasn't but and again i've seen this multiple multiple times You just want so hard for it not to, Mm -hmm. but it's so, so true. And there's only a real finite amount of rubbish that can be achieved in a really small (laughs) amount of time. I mean, maybe you can go directionally. Yes, hypothetically, that's possible. No, almost certainly that's not possible. But then the CEO is not going to want to hear the no. So it's like, well, we'll work some more on the hypothetically possible bit. And it can... The chasing, the revising the product roadmaps, the, all of this stuff mm-hmm. around trying to make it take less time can actually end up making it take a hell of a lot longer. And it's definitely one of the things I will do next time I do a product business is spend a, a hell of a lot longer not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Just like a hell of a lot longer thinking about what we're doing, why we're doing it, how yeah. we should do it before we actually do anything. Yeah. To the point that people are starting to get like angry with me and going, <laughs> at some point we need to do something. Yeah. After they've gotten really annoyed, that might be the time when we might just have about refined it enough to be the time to start. Because actually this whole MVPing and building this and building that and trying this and trying that and trying this is exhausting. Yeah. And it I didn't understand until we'd been doing it for bloody years. Yeah. How absolutely exhausting it is to try out concepts even when you've got a paying customer and you've got an idea and they've got an idea and you go great we'll do it we'll do it we'll do it we'll do it as your way of learning Mm -hmm. doing less thinking about it harder validating it with phone calls and focus groups and conversations with the client speaking it out on paper and seeing is this what you want i
1: believe is a hell of a more Mm -hmm. effective approach i think it's like definitely. And there's definitely a balance as well as to what you can start doing, thinking about what's going to work and what might not work versus taking a lot of time to, to actually do it and learn. But I think the more you you do it, I think your time at Clear Returns, especially, has taught you a lot of things. So the next time, especially if you have a slightly senior group, you'll get there a lot faster uh, regardless
0: yeah I, I think that is true and I think that is actually one of the key things as well having a more experienced group and I think it's the benefit that you get as a second time third time founder is you kind of know who you want with you and you, you've, you've got some kind of sense of how you will work together and it's why I've been doing a lot of stuff over the last nine months with ad hoc really super early stage startups mm. because it's almost kind of like you're surrounding yourself with people <sighs> who at some point oh. might become your next team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's the TV Squared where I'm at right now, that founding group had worked together for over 10 years and they know each other very well. They've started startups before together. Like you can definitely oh. see the camaraderie and the working environment that they've created together because they've they've oh. done it before.
0: What do you think that a company perhaps should be doing, uh, a founder should be doing, but also a team leader should be doing? before they're
1: going out and hiring people? Uh, honestly, I think they need to know what they're hiring for. <laughs> um, it's all well and good if you're like, ooh, I need someone to do something with the data. Let's get a data scientist. But in the end, if you can't communicate what you need that data scientist to do with that data, you're wasting resources. You're oh, wasting yeah. your time and their time.
0: And that one comes up all the time. Literally, i truly, I get this every week. Yeah, I think I need a machine learning person. Yeah, I but think, why? <laughs> yeah, I think I need a data scientist. Why? Like, have you got a whole data stream? I mean, have you yeah. got more data than you know what to do with? And you've revenue yeah. everything you have and you're going to do something with it. Oh, yeah. Why? And what are you can do then? And who is going to brief them
1: yeah. on what to do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and honestly, do you have the support in place for them to do that kind of stuff? Data science, because I'm in that field right now, is, is a bit of a special topic for me. But I remember there's so many people looking for data scientists. They'll get one. The data scientist can't even access this data and so, what you really needed in the end was a data engineer or someone to build a data pipeline, so that in six months' time, you could get a data scientist to actually do all of that work. Yeah, or we'll start with a data analyst and at the very at least. the <laughs> hell out of what you've
0: got. Really, mm-hmm. you know, have somebody who's understanding the business and the business context of the data, and then is actually kind of briefing back in that we could take this to the next level if only we could do this and start modeling it through. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Shopping lists that start with machine learning and data science make me very, very
1: nervous as yeah. early hires. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And yeah. I think if you're a data business and it's so core, cool, really, your founding team need to have a bit of a grasp on that. You can't. I don't personally think it makes an awful lot of sense that you're going to go out founding a data driven AI type tech business if not one of the founding teams is at least half competent at data. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: I did an episode last week about what... I I was talking about how easy it is to found a tech company as a non-technical founder.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I would qualify that and say it's not so easy to found a data tech company if none of your founding team have data skills. Because if you... You can't just buy it in because you need to be able to communicate the vision and the intention and have coherent conversations. I mean, you are very patient with me when I was at the edge of my competency but I wasn't incompetent no no
1: no, I would never say that you were I think you were actually quite data literate so I think so having been on the board of the data
0: analytics
1: and worked in data for yeah you'd hope so (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you for calling me almost literate I'm unhorrible and almost literate (laughs) to be fair I don't think I said almost I think I said quite (laughs) I feel better now So
0: um, I'm going to come to our mutual bugbear, me because I'm terrible at it and you because you you like and respect it and try to educate me on it. Process, for lack of it. (laughs) Tell me your thoughts on process. Process.
1: I think in a nutshell, process can be really great at the right time in the right amount not enough process and things can go all over the place. Again, it kind of depends on the people that you're working with. A lot of people, actually, if you have a small number of people not having process could actually be okay. It could be fine. It'll not get in the way of anything you need to do as long as you remember to put it in by the time more people come. But too much process can definitely be a barrier to getting anything done. I'm specifically thinking Procter & Gamble where you just wanted to talk to someone about something and it just was impossible to even get through to them. But process, it's it's important. It is. Nobody likes it. It's not fun. It's a pain to actually build into the company and get people following that process to the point where it's actually efficient and worth doing. But if you can get that, it definitely is worth doing.
0: And if it's the right kind of process, I mean, we went through an exercise around responsibilities and accountabilities that we'd done it earlier or we'd had more time to really embed that yeah. would have been a valuable use of time. We went through some equally ridiculous attempts to have process imposed on us, yeah, um, particularly around time tracking and all yeah, sorts that was of stuff that nonsense. was just, frankly, nonsense, divisive, pointless, and didn't take any bit, you know,
1: it just wasn't the right investment of energy. I think that one probably came from a place where it was useful at a previous company, which again, was probably much larger, uh, needed that kind of thing, and like had the motivation to do it. Whereas we were quite small. And again, everybody had the very similar mentality of, I want to do this to help the company. So having that not only got in people's way, because it took time, but also, like you said, it it was divisive. It kind of made you feel like, well, you don't trust what I'm doing, but I'm literally giving you everything. So it's just like, that was just unfortunate timing and the wrong thing to do at this point in the company's life. And, you know,
0: I talk about, and I have talked about how I I put 20,000 hours into that company in just over five years. But so were you, you know, you guys were working as hard as I was and you were putting as many hours in and that kind of time management-y, let's understand what everybody's doing, was Probably coming from a good place. It yeah. was just trying to understand, are we all working on the right things? Mm-hmm. But particularly because it came from a distance, mm-hmm. it resonated, it felt, mean, it felt to me, so what it must have felt to everybody else was like, wow, I'm not trusted that mm-hmm. I can manage my own time yeah. flow, and I'm not trusted that I'm putting yeah. the hours in, whereas I'm doing nothing but putting the hours in.
1: yeah. I mean, the irony is, I think the person who wanted that put in place so they could see what everybody's doing themselves didn't use it. Yeah. (laughs) And so that just really set a poor precedent and a just a poor message to everybody. And they were fairly new in there, too. So it's just when you put in that much effort and someone comes in being like, I'm going to make everything better. All of you aren't doing the right stuff, but I'm not going to do it. (laughs) It's just that was... When you're that early in a startup, you want everybody to be on the same page and everybody working together and putting in the same effort. It's it's like a, a partnership or like a mm. or a marriage. Really, like yeah. it's everybody has to give in the same amount. You can't carry someone else or just rely on someone else to do everything for you. Like that's never gonna last.
0: And that is probably one of the things that people should be aware of. And there isn't anywhere to hide.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and nor should there be. And you'll learn a hell of a lot. And if that turns you on, and that's what makes you excited and motivated, great, you're in the right place. If you kind of want to sit back, observe, learn slower, grow gently, then it's not the right place to be. I mean, obviously not all startups are the same. And then that journey that you've had between startup to scale up has been different is there any final thoughts that you have on what somebody should be aware of or perhaps either somebody taking a job in a startup or as a founder going out making their first hires to think about? This is going
1: to sound a little weird, I think, because <laughs> one of the things about a startup is you don't need to worry about like politics or structure. That being said, in any organization, there is some sort of manager-managee relationship that happens even if it's not a formal one, I don't think I ever formally reported to you. But I would look to you for guidance and feedback, not just in the work, but in general, how do I make myself better as well. And that obviously gets way more formal, the larger the company is. And right now in my scale up company, there is definitely a lot of managerial structure happening, which is fine. There's no there's no problems with that. It's just your experience can really depend on the people that you work with, especially the people that you report to and have some form of authority or, or guidance over you. So if you're going in, um, I would definitely want to know who it is I'm going to be working with most of the time. And in an early stage startup, it might very well be one person above you, or even if it's a flat structure, there's that formal mm-hmm. understanding to make sure that you can work with them, that you're all on the same page um, and that you can already establish a good relationship and good communications. And then on the flip side, I would say, if you're going out to find someone, find someone that has the right mindset, that's in it for the right reasons. Not someone who uh, just wants to you know, make their CV look good by being part of a startup or just spending the time working on their technical skill. It's someone that you can really work with to go and achieve that same goal. And then recognize the... Uh, not the power, but the position of authority that you are naturally going to be in, um, even if you don't want it, even if you want a really collaborative group, it's inherent, it's really hard to to not have that. So how you treat everybody else and the the presence uh, that you have, and just uh, the example that you set, I think is is really important and is very, very strong. Yeah, as
0: the founder, create the culture of the company, whether you like it or not, and whether you're deliberate about it or not. I would always want to say lead by example, but some people don't always Mm -hmm. have these skills or the self-awareness to be a good example. And then I think you have to just work on your self-awareness and your personal development and be able to look at yourself and see how others see you (laughs) uh, to, to really make that work it has been a pleasure to talk to you thank you for making your sofa available (laughs) anytime (laughs) (laughs) you've been listening to vicky brock and regina berengoltz this week's entrepreneur agonians if you like the podcast subscribe on itunes spotify or your player of choice and please do spread the word and tell the world that we're here